And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Watching Gaza roll back the years in League Two, the pros and cons of installing a turnstile in your own house, referees buying him a pint before games, the lesser-known footballing hotbed of Lincolnshire, scoring too early and other obscure mid-game anxieties, and finally piecing together the metaphorical pandemic football match going on in the brain of Professor Sir Jonathan Van Tam. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 133 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for this one, first of all, is Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, big question for you. Are you triple vaccinated? Yes, I am. Let's continue then because for Mesut Harland Dix today, a long-awaited guest, on his birthday no less, it's Professor Sir Jonathan Van Tam. Welcome, Jonathan. How are you? Very well, thank you. And uh, pleased to be talking about football. I bet. I bet. Um, yeah, I hope this is going to be a comfortable ride for you. Yeah, I mentioned it's your birthday, which you share with Barcelona defender Gerard Piquet and Shakira. So uh, mm. among exalted company there. But they're our next guests, hopefully. Um, we'll continue that. So um, let, let if anybody who's been living under a rock or anywhere similar for the last two years, um, let's confirm who you are. You're the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England. I started that job in late 2017. Mm-hmm. I was just in post when it all happened, as it were. In the right place at the right time. Um, ever fancy being a number one? No. No, <laughs> for you. no, no. Our CMO is absolutely brilliant, for those of you who don't know him as well as I do. He is absolutely brilliant. And mm-hmm. I can't think of anyone better. I really can't. That's spoken like a true assistant manager there, Charlie, isn't it? I was going to say, yes. It's uh, kind of Steve McLaren talking mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Fergie was leading United to the treble. I want to pick up on this, perhaps the most surreal seeming moment of your of your public limelight which was when you vaccinated the boston united squad the team you support yeah an oddly proud moment surely i didn't do them all i just did a couple they were there a couple that were ready to have their vaccines and uh, a lot of them are already started to be truthful um so they're in the right place at the right time as i said to uh, jordan burrow um, as he kind of nervously came forwards uh, into the booth to see me, I said, I don't know who's more nervous about this. We enjoyed at the time that uh, centre forward Jordan Preston 
kind of described the scene in the most footballery way imaginable. He said, uh, obviously Van Tam's got a great pedigree in the medical world. I thought that was such a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Only a footballer could come out with a line like that. You know, it was, it was great um, of those two young men showing the right example and uh, doing, doing what needed to be done. So which was more surreal part of your Boston United supportership? Was it vaccinating a couple of the players against a highly infectious respiratory virus or a 37-year-old Paul Gascoigne turning down Series 4 of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here to be your player coach for five games in 2004? Oh, I could hardly believe it when we, we heard the news that uh, Gaza uh, was on his way. And you can say what you like about he was at in his football career but in terms of you know this is no this is not casting aspersions on the kind of quality we see in, in national league north or even we saw, saw, saw in league two this is saying this was from another world and i've never seen a man trot around the center circle and thread balls through channels that frankly if you look at the pitch you don't think they're there. He, he still showed those touches of absolute brilliance. So it was a, a great moment, really. A little bit of a celebrity moment for the club. Charlie, there's... Um... I looked up the match report for, for Gaza's debut for Boston back in 2004, and you'll be so reassured to know that the very first paragraph says, debutant Paul Gascoigne rolled Roll back, back the years. years. Of course he did, to yeah. inspire Boston to a comfortable win over Chester. As, is that... Can you think of a more suitable set of words for a scenario than that? Or, yeah, a more um, clear-cut case of rolling back the years. Mm. Yeah, lovely stuff. I wish I'd seen it. It, it does sound inspiring. Well, it was great. And if you go into our new facilities, you can still see in, in, in the corridor one of the photos of Gazza in his Boston shirt. He was in reasonably good shape, to be fair, at yeah. that stage. So, I mean, you were there to witness it. I mean, as if anyone was in any doubt about just how Boston United you are. The first thing I've got to fire at you is the fact that you uh, you almost had a turnstile from the old stadium installed in your house, <laughs> which is which is the <laughs> most diehard football fan <laughs> thing you could potentially have done. And you, you, well, you nearly did it. Well, I have had a room, an extension built on the house. And it, it's got a huge TV screen, a little bit of a sports bar, really. Lots and lots of uh, football memorabilia on the walls. And um, it would have been nice to have been able to acquire one of the turnstiles from York Street and to have kind of mounted it at the, in the doorway so that you had to kind of push through to get into that. <laughs> it was a fairly short conversation. <laughs> was, that, was that one step too far? I did go into the eBay auction and I have got the one and only tin Boston United sports bar sign <laughs> from York Street. It, it cost quite a lot of money. I must oh, have right. But it was all good because he went to the uh, Football's Community Foundation Trust, you know, feeds the youth of tomorrow for football. And um, it's now mounted in our extension of the TV. It's a great how, big how, piece of metal. Do you ask, how often have you been able to watch Boston on that big TV? How, how rare is that that they would have a televised game? Very rare that they had a televised game. But during those really difficult periods when we had to lock down, of course, the club provided a streaming service for season ticket holders. And, um, yeah, we were able to watch quite a few um, BUFC games uh, on, the, on the big screen uh, in the house. But, of course, no fans, no, mm. yeah, not the same. And uh, hopefully on our way into 
calmer waters and um, great to see the crowds back. On the turnstile point, though, every time I hear the, hear a story about a fan who has or hasn't bought or has or nearly bought a turnstile for their house, you mentioned this scenario where you'd install it in the door. How many times would that be fun until it starts to become actually quite annoying? <laughs> That's the only question I ever have about people who have turnstiles in their house. Well, I'm sure that would absolutely be true, but wouldn't it be nice just to own? It's, it's a great headache to have. People sort of squeezing through without paying and things like that. That'd be terrible. How much to get into uh, Jonathan Van Tam's sports bar? The, the mind boggles um, uh, how much you'd have to pay to get in. Uh, are you still on course to get your Boston United tattoo? Yes, I was, I was speaking to I was speaking to Mrs. VT about this and saying that um, uh, when I stepped down from the HSC, I should have a bit more time to actually uh, uh, find, find to go and get that done, yeah. You say about having more time. Is there a lot of planning time as well, presumably, that goes into this? Or, or have you already decided that? Well, I've kind of semi-decided... Um, but obviously, that's not something uh, that uh, is entirely down to me. It's uh, down to <laughs> complex issues. Others be. have a stake in that decision. And so I'm not going to reveal uh, the details of the proposed design at this point. Is it of a turnstile? <laughs> it is not. Fascinating insight into the decision-making process that goes on in the Van Tuyl thoroughness. Yeah. Um, if, if that's one thing we take away from this podcast, it will be that. As if your credentials weren't strong enough. It was announced on the 1st of November 2021 that you will be awarded the Freedom of the Borough of Boston. I mean, no higher honour for a, for a local man. But what do you do with this freedom? Is this a kind of driving your sheep through the town centre kind of situation? I believe it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you get into matches for free? That's the main thing. I wouldn't want to. Good. <laughs> I, would, I abs- absolutely wouldn't want to. A club like ours in National League North, we're very, very well supported. But every penny counts for the club. And I wouldn't want to do anything to reduce the income for the for the playing budget. Will you also get the accolade that famous footballers get of never having to buy a pint in this town again? Is it, I mean, I know that's unofficial, but do you think that would also be bestowed on you? Has it been already? Surely meets the threshold. Yeah, surely. Who, who knows? Who knows about that one? We shall see. Do let us know. Of course, now um, it would be incredibly remiss of us on this podcast if we didn't address one of the main topics of your ascension to public consciousness. One of the key tenets of the public information strategy as well, which was um, describing the progress of the um, British response to the pandemic in football terms. Given your equal understanding of both worlds, could you please describe Boston United's stuttering National League North playoffs push this season in epidemiological terms, please? I suppose you would say it's um, those epicurbs where there have been several upward turns and we're wondering if it was that peak or not, and if things are going to now decline again. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of basically a multimodal peak where it kind of goes up into the playoffs, down not quite into the playoffs, up into the playoffs, down quite into the playoffs. And yes, and I think you're hinting at the fact that um, we would all like a little bit more consistency than we. Um, have seen so far but you know uh, two big wins in, in the last two games it's uh, not all bad at the moment that has steadied the ship somewhat yeah, I think um, so yeah. yeah looks like they're back on the way up somebody uh, told me you'd know more than me um, being, being being football journalists that actually when managers change you often do get this kind of uh, trend in the data that, uh, that the ship steadies for a while is that right? the new manager bounce is a, is a well established some would say fallacy, but uh, it's definitely it definitely does happen for a lot of teams. I, I think there's a degree of confirmation bias with it, but we do yeah. we yeah. do see some examples for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are we likely to see a new deputy chief medical officer for England bounce? Well, there have to be a replacement. Well, do we know who it is? Oh no, 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 no. 
no. Alan Kerbishley is 17 to 1, I believe, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I think at one point I was 5,000 to 1 to be the uh, next England manager. <laughs> um, I mean, so many, so many, so many, so much of your skill set lends itself to the job. I mean, people hang on your every word for a start after games or mid games, as it turns out. But speaking of your footballing analogies, over the course of the pandemic so far. We've, had, we've seen so many of these individual scenarios that you've presented. Let's try and construct this football game as a whole, a chronological whole, and see how this pulsating encounter has turned out. So let's pick the first scenario. This was back in February 2021. Um, someone asked you um, if it was potentially time to start bending the uh, lockdown rules. It's a bit like being 3-0 up in a game and thinking, well, we can't possibly lose this now. But how many times have you seen the other side take it 4-3? Do not wreck this now. Um, so already, already quite a, a dramatic scenario, Charlie. We've got Team Three 0 up, um, so we've we're right at the. We've been thrown straight into the into the highlights here. So yeah, I mean, this was already quite a colourful o- opening, wasn't it? This is Spurs Man City in two thousand and four. Exactly. This is, bring, bring, this is bringing back horrible memories for some of our listeners, I imagine. And, and Jonathan, you, you're as you mentioned there, you said how many times have you seen the other side take it four three? As if you were speaking from experience. And Ooh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, how many times makes it sound like it's actually a regular occurrence, which yeah. it is not. <laughs> um, but the mind plays tricks on the memory, and on those rare occasions where you really did have the game square, well squared away, and somehow it all goes horribly wrong in front of your eyes, and you're left with this kind of sick feeling at quarter to five. You remember those, don't you? A little bit like the uh, 4-3 defeat to Morpeth in the FA Trophy. I was there. <laughs> can, I, can I just confirm, for the record, in the, in the build-up to this podcast, I looked back through 50 years of Boston United's results to find out how many times they'd won or lost 4-3. And uh, at no stage have Boston been 3-0 up and lost 4-3 or the other way around. So, uh, yeah, if anything, you were scaremongering. At least at least get your statistics right. That's all I would say. Before you start throwing around uh, extreme footballing scenarios willy-nilly. But, but thank, you for, thank you for reminding me about Maltworth. Sorry about that. Sounds very exciting, though. Right, so so the stage is set in this game. Already very dramatic. Sounds a bit one-sided to me, but let's let's see how things continue. In June 2021, Charlie... We're probably now at the 72nd minute or so. OK, don't be foolish. It's about game management. It's about finishing the job. It's about making sure that whatever happens, we get the three points. So, I mean, sort of Mourinho-esque philosophy there. Maybe, but, you know, we were at a crucial stage in rolling out the primary immunisation programme. And, uh, you know, it got to get right down to the younger age groups, which it has with um, very significant success. But that was not the time to lose focus. Can I commend you as well on the precision generally with these is, is brilliant. And I think that's what elevates it. You know, we're so used to, Adam and I often talk about the, the very vague uh, kind of political, when we hear politicians anyway, using football yeah. analogies, they talk about games of two halves and things like that, which is nonsense. Yeah. But 70 second minute is so spot on because that's often the point at which if my team's winning narrowly, I'll start looking at the clock and it will just about be acceptable to think, okay, I can just about see the finish line here, but it's still well, so far off. You're quite right, Charlie. When it's tight and uh, you are in a good position in a game, whether it's 3-2 or 1-0, I start to look at the my, my watch at about the 70, 72nd. Mm. And at that point, I don't think 
right, this is time to waste loads of time and keep playing it into the corner near the flag and uh, start all of the uh, the kind of rigmarole that goes into the last three minutes. Mm. If you start doing that too early, then I think you you know you can get into real trouble. But you do have to start thinking about game management. And you have to start thinking about whether actually the supporters are going to be more pleased with you if you go and get another goal versus if you concede and drop points at that stage and so i think you know psychologically 70 minutes is just about on it for me yeah, it is yeah is, is there a squeaky bum time for the pandemic charlie i mean is, <laughs> is, is, is there an equivalent i um, i dread to think I well i don't think we we, we can't know can we that's no, the thing you'll never know i particularly like this next piece this was this was more of a kind of digression perhaps this was march 2021 he said a bit like a football game where the strikers who score the wonder goals are the ones who make the headlines Actually, the hard yards are done by the defenders and by the defensive midfielders tracking back, tracking back for 90 minutes of the whole game, watching everybody's back. Who are you, who are you sort of referring to here? Who are doing the kind of the miles? Who, who are in the engine room? So I think, I can't quite remember, but I think I was referring to the vaccine programme. And I was saying that the, the volunteers and the NHS staff who gave up shift after shift, weekend after weekend, doing something ostensibly quite dull and quite simple in clinical terms, just sticking a needle into the left or the right, you know, know, giving a vaccine. It's not very exciting. And in the grand scheme of needing close on 65 million people to have two doses of vaccine, when you've done just one, you think, well, you know, what have I done? Well, the answer is they're the kind of unseen, hard, difficult yards that have to be done in any any campaign. And, uh, you know, that, that was my moment, I think, just to say thank you to the people who aren't in the limelight, who have still done their bit to get us where we are today. Absolutely. Charlie, the greatest tribute I could pay to the staff who manned the, uh, the vaccination stations and the whole process by which you go through, is that I've never thanked anyone more than that, unless I was at five aside and someone kicked the ball back over the fence, in which case in which case, it's like yeah. no one's been thanked more in their lives. So that's the level that they were operating at. That's the level of gratitude. Or Sam Allardyce appearing on the Keys and Grey podcast. It, it's that kind of level, isn't it? But uh, yes, no, you're right. It was very much the cheers, thanks vibe that comes from a uh, ball being kicked over to your pitch in five aside. This... Um figurative game of football continued as the boosters were starting to get rolled out uh, this one's very com- this is perhaps the most convoluted and analogy of them all and I'd love to hear your explanation you say, you say we started with 11 players in the team with the Wuhan vaccine and you could say that we kind of picked up a couple of injuries when Alpha came along and then Delta came along those variants are different from the Wuhan original strain and we've had to use our subs off the bench to keep us in the game but we are well in the game and you can see with the current epi- epidemiology in relation to Delta that the vaccines are holding up very well and largely keeping us out of trouble now Omicron is likely now picking is up is like now picking up couple of yellow cards to key players on top. We may be okay, but we're kind of starting to feel at risk that we might go down to 10, 10 players. And if that happens, or if that's a risk that it's going to happen, then we need everyone on the pitch to up their game in the meantime. What's going on here? This is, this is very tense. Yes, it, it is very tense indeed. And what we were saying was, at that point, we did not know with any certainty whether the booster programme was going to hold against Omicron and keep hospital admissions and deaths down. Now, remember that the Omicron is a very, very different virus 
to the Wuhan that uh, came onto the field in the first minute. And we're still using vaccines that basically have the you know imprint of the Wuhan virus in them. And so it's a bit of a big stretch to kind of get to Omicron, but it has actually worked. And those vaccines after a booster dose are holding the serious illnesses at bay. So, you know, it was a tense moment. We could have very easily have gone down to 10 men, but uh, the right sub came on and uh, we've got almost to the end. Who's the sub in your head here, Charlie? Who Who's this sub that comes on and calms it all down, sort of pointing at their temples going, right, heads on, eh? Yeah, yeah, because it's not a sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer super sub, is it? Or sort of James Milner? Yeah, or John Obi Mikel, yes, someone like that, yeah. who just 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 going to keep the ball, keep things ticking over, yep. and, and kind of see us through. So speaking, talking of seeing it through, let's let's get through this game. We're we're now still hovering around the twenty minutes ago mark, and you said it's uh, we get we we got an absolute battering in the first half, but now it's the seventieth minute. They've got a goal, and now we've got an equaliser. Hold our nerve, see if we can get another and nick it. But the key thing is not to lose it, mm. not to throw it away at this point, because we've got a point on the board and we've got the draw. So we're settling for a draw in the pandemic. Is that it? That a point's enough? No, 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 not at all. We're trying to nick it. <laughs> but we take a draw. That was the booster bit. But we, above all else, we mustn't lose it. And mm. the point was about behaviours. And you know, back before Christmas, just don't don't relax too soon. Who's at home and who's away? Do we think in this analogy? Because normally, te- I think of taking a point as as typically a kind of you know we're away from home. You know, win your home games, take what you can away. Do, do you feel on home or away turf here, Jonathan? I think it was happening because it was happening to us, and the virus on this occasion didn't arise in the UK. It felt it was a home game to me in my head. Right. Yeah. So we've got the crowd behind us, at least. Yeah, I mean, look look how well people stuck with the advice on the whole. But we didn't get the winner, nor did the virus. So it went straight to penalties. Or maybe that was the... Maybe we skipped extra time, because extra time is traditionally boring and no one cares about that, because it's cagey. <laughs> cagey, no one wanted to commit themselves. So we got to penalties. This was November 2020, and the Pfizer vaccine was rolled out. And you said it's like getting to the end of the playoff final. Very specific. Someone's been there and, and had heartbreak. Getting to the end of a playoff final. It's gone to penalties. The first player goes up, scores the goal. You haven't won the cup yet, but what it does is it tells you that the goalkeeper can be beaten. I think this might have been my favourite pound for pound. Yeah, I think that's probably my first one. And that was when, you know, we finally realised we got vaccines that would work. Because at one point, we we didn't know whether these vaccines were going to work. We didn't even know if we could get a vaccine that would work against this virus. It wasn't wasn't a given. And... uh, you know what it's like. The worst way to start a penalty shootout is you. Mm. It's usually usually a top striker, isn't it, who takes the first one. If they go and stick it over the bar or something, at that point, you just kind of... Sets the tone. This is not going to be good for us. But he went in, and that gave, gave everyone hope. What's great about this analogy as well is that it conveys the sense that there's more to there's going to be a back and forth. We're going to have you know we're going to have our go. They're going to come back. That yeah. it's an ongoing you know that it's it's uh, yeah. it, it, when, when, even if you score your first one that is only one. That's it's yeah. not a big lead. No. I mean on the back of the on the back of the now certified scaremongering that was uh, the disproportionate reference to uh, teams coming back from three 0 down. Jonathan, I fear that unleashing a penalty shootout analogy upon this particular nation was quite. <laughs> a uh, risky thing to do. <laughs> I hadn't really framed it in the context of it. 
penalty shootouts. But that's not going to allay our fears. But finally, with the rollout of the Moderna vaccine, again in November 2020. It's the second penalty now. That's also gone into the back of the net. Implying in this slightly plot hole filled game of football that we are... 2-0 up in the penalty shootout. And that's where you left it. That's where you left it. We haven't heard anything since. What's the score, Jonathan Van Tam? So I think it's probably now definitely 4-3 to us. Wow. Um, I think the shootout could end soon. Um, but who took it, first? Did we take first or did they? Very important. Have they got um, one to come? No, no, I haven't thought, thought that through. Um, Has anyone missed yet? Um, yeah, well, there must be. For it, for it to be 4-3, somebody's missed. Yeah. Well, not if they've got one to come. Mm. Well, I think what I'm saying is, I think, I think, although this pandemic is not over, it could in the end be five. Three to us. I take that. Charlie, I'd take that. Would you take yeah, that? Absolutely. We, yeah, absolutely. We can win it 5-3, like South Korea did against Spain in the 2002 World Cup. I just worry that we're down to our sort of defensive midfielders, like your batties, your inses. <laughs> unless unless we've done that thing teams do sometimes of leaving their best, like Cristiano Ronaldo has been oh, yeah. left for Portugal. And I think Salah did that for Egypt. So maybe we'll be okay. Yeah, hopefully it will. Hopefully, I don't know how many pharmaceutical companies are left, but um, hopefully... Hopefully it's going to be fine. Anyway, that finally brings us to the end of what appears to be the most convoluted, dramatic, pulsating, metaphorical game of football that's ever been played. Best of luck to everybody in the final thrashings of that one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. We are finally ready for Mesut Harland Dicks with Professor Sir Jonathan Van Tam. Let's reiterate the format. We get our special guest to introduce three footballing fascinations and three footballing irritations, and then we will proceed to pick them apart. Jonathan, tell us about your first love of football, please. So the first one really is Fever Pitch. Okay. Yeah, now I know it's about Arsenal, <laughs> um, uh, not Boston United. But I, I, I think Colin Firth is probably the best male actor, British male actor of my generation. Oh, wow. And he absolutely gets inside, uh, him and his mate uh, in the field, they get inside what it's like to support a club early in your life and then just kind of get quite a long way through it and realise that that passion is just still there. And there are kind of just bits about how much the results and the club matter to you that you just kind of can't fix any other way than kind of being there and living it. And I think that really comes through uh, in the film. And it, it also, of course, because he, he, he falls in love and, 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 and begins to settle down. And that kind of depicts how your relationship with football has to change as you go through 
um, the decades of life because of all your other commitments and so forth. But it's kind of still basically there. And um, just as you could see uh, in the early part of the film, his dad passing that kind of passion on to him. You can see that in your own families and your own generations, that it just kind of somehow gets passed down. And I think it's magical. Firstly, I'm delighted that you've chosen this topic, and I'm delighted that you've chosen this specific example because uh, many people, Charlie, would, would consider the book to be the kind of the... Uh, the real genius here in the film, something of an afterthought. I don't think of it like that. I think of it completely the other way. And exactly what Jonathan said, Colin Firth is a surprisingly convincing, you know, late 80s football fan, given Absolutely. given his, you know, his background in acting. Um, it seemed like there had to be a lot of massaging done and he, he had to learn a lot about football. But it, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it comes out quite well in the end. I have seen it, yeah. And, and I mean, this book, when I first read it, it I, so many people, it is one of those amazing books and the film as well, because it is like, this could be me. This is the, this guy is speaking so to me. It's it's amazing to to capture that in the way he does. And, and with so, there are such specific things. I remember I can't remember if it's in the film as well, but in the book he talks about this example of he he wakes up one morning and comes down, and his mum or someone has written just a post on a note saying Arsenal lost exclamation mark, and he's like that is the equivalent of writing like granny died exclamation mark or something it's like what are you doing the exclamation mark the idea that you can relay this news to me because that's one of the things he, he touched on isn't it how we yeah we kind of have such specific ways that we want to find out about football and results and things like that and these superstitions yeah. we think it would actually change the result if we find out a certain way i don't mind telling you um i, I was on a call with, with with the secretary of state and um we were still working and the uh, the one of the Euro games had started, it was an England game, and um, I, I, I was in my office, he, he was in his office, um, we, were you know, we weren't in the same office, I was, I was at home in Lincolnshire, and um, he, he, he said, um, I had my headphones on for that one, and um, um, clearly they, they'd obviously got the game on, but no sound, because they were working, but just kind of keeping an eye on it, as it were, perfectly reasonable, and he said, suddenly said, for anyone who wants to know this one, I'd have whipped these headphones <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do not tell me the score. I do not want to know the score until after this call because I've got it on record. You know, I'll I'll it uh, later. So the politicians right. rejecting the experts once again. Really, is it? Uh, just get sick of that. It's kind of how football news is conveyed is is important. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it's massive. That's the word. I've had that before where games I've recorded and then someone's blown it for me at the last possible moment, and it's one of the most crushing things that can happen. The thing about football films is that. Um, as a general point, given that this is a corner of, of society where if people like it, they obsess about it you know, to, to minute detail. So I put mm. it to you, Jonathan, that it's basically impossible to make an accurate, authentic mainstream film about something that we care about so much, either on the pitch or, or off the pitch, because there's always going to be one part of it that jumps out as just completely inauthentic. I, I'm not buying that. They, you know, they, they haven't quite nailed it. But but Fever Pitch probably gets quite close. I'm actually really surprised. Well, I think it does. My other kind of favourite film gets close in a different way, and that's Bend It Like Beckham. And I, I just like that film because the, the, the women's game has become so much more prominent. Lots and lots of young girls now play football at school, at clubs and so forth. And I just think Bend It Like Beckham was brilliant because it combined... First of all, the teenage girl playing football. Then it combined the kind of the ethnic minority piece and it illustrated um, some of the challenges of youngsters in ethnic minority families brought up in the UK with the UK kind of all around them, 360. And yet their parents aren't quite in the same place. 
And so there was another kind of layer to the film. Then, of course, you had the excitement of the getting to the final and all the rest of it. And then you had this kind of love story kind of welded on top. And I just thought there were so many different layers to this film. It was just wonderful. And, um, yeah, I've even been to see the show as well. I mean, now you put it like that, I mean... I- Charlie, I suppose this is this kind of a plot line that's way ahead of its time. It's you know, it's a kind of a film that you would expect to be made in 2022. Except, except for the one thing I will not abide about this film, Jonathan, is the choreography for the climactic free kick at the end. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I'm, I'm intent on tracking down some football choreographers and seeing what the hell are the challenges that they face. But Charlie. You must have seen this free kick. There's something highly suspicious about it in terms of its uh, trajectory. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and and that is a, a common bugbear, isn't it, with football films? That the footage is is very hard to get right. There is something very difficult. I still think Dream Team, the uh, mainly '90s shows on Sky One did a very good job with that by just taking existing footage and changing the colour of, say, Chelsea's blue kit to purple. That's still to this day one of the best examples I've seen because I think it is hard to get it right when you've got actors sort of in slow-mo running in what seems like a very unconvincing way. No, I think it's a very fair point. And I think that 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 the final free kick, Keeper could have made a better job of that. <laughs> Keeper should have done better there. You, you get the shot from behind the goal, and I'm just thinking... You're asking serious questions there, aren't you? OK, Jonathan, tell us about your second love of football, please. My second love is, is everything that goes with the kind of build-up and then the journey and the, um, the, the kind of peripheral activities and, and the atmosphere of an away weekend, quite often associated with a kind of a derby game or a fake up away fixture or a playoff. And I just think these are kind of marvellous bonding moments. And I do like going up on a Friday night because I think on the Friday night, you know, kind of work's finished, get off up the motorway or wherever to wherever bit of the country you need to go it's a kind of epic journey in the dark often and you can kind of get to a hotel usually it's something like a premier inn have a bite to eat have a have, have a couple of uh, glasses of something uh, appropriate to to drink and you can kind of reminisce about previous games and fantasize about what the result is going to be tomorrow and you haven't got any of the disappointment in that evening of what the result actually was <laughs> and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't it's a miserable drive home if you've lost and it'll be even more miserable if you've got to stay up there and abide it all for another 12 hours before you could drive home on the Sunday morning because you put that. What sort of destinations are we talking here? Because, I mean, you've made a very early start to this entire weekend. It's almost like you're, I don't know, you, you're having to um, set up a few phone calls to arrange a meet with a local firm or something to, uh, to dust, you know, <laughs> get it all sorted out before kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> My last one was um, was uh, up to Morpeth Town. Oh, the uh, ill-fated FA, uh, yeah. FA Trophy, yeah. Nice little overnight stay on the uh, on Friday night, Saturday morning, straight down to the park run at Newbiggin. Oh, right. Get some fizz in for your park run and uh, then rush back to the hotel for a proper football breakfast and then uh, take your time. You know, don't worry about jams or pile-ups on the motorway or wheedle your way across to Morpeth. Do a little bit of shopping, have a look at the town, think it's very nice, and then work out how to get to the ground, have a little bit time to kind of plan where you're going to park where you're not going to get blocked in where you can get away afterwards back for the long journey home which means you're at the ground in plenty of time get to the clubhouse suss it out walk around the stadium a bit you know <laughs> it's so methodical um, yeah. such a routine yeah have a look at the 3g pitch you know pure team uh, warming up and, um you know doing a bit of uh, post-coach travel 
training, have a word with one or two of them. You know, take your time. Let's sit, you know, kind of suck in the atmosphere of a new place and uh, enjoy that. Yeah. Charlie, I, I looked into into where Boston kind of sit in the uh, in the footballing geography of it all. Charlie, you'll be you'll be fascinated to know that the Lincolnshire Derby has its own Wikipedia page. That's how complicated this this footballing rivalry is. Um, let me let me let me establish just who's involved in this. It's the footballing rivalry between the teams in the ceremonial county of Lincolnshire, Lincoln City, Boston United, Gainsborough Trinity, Grimsby Town, and Scunthorpe United. Now, if you think of all those names as a collective, Charlie, are we can we consider this a hotbed? I've never thought of Lincolnshire as a hotbed. Is Ooh, it a hotbed? A, f- a footballing hotbed? I think it is. It's Bostonshire, not Lincolnshire. Wikipedia stands corrected. You've got like a huge banner, like a huge TIFO at, at your stadium. But, uh, this is Bostonshire. Final point on this one. It sounds like, it sounds like you've been on the road quite a lot with Boston United, but one... One long trip that you didn't make, sadly, was the FA Trophy final defeat to Wealdstone in 1985. The club's no. only appearance at Wembley in their 88-year history. Where were you? What were you doing? Was there a pandemic? I was a junior doctor. I was in, in those days, you worked 120 hours a week. Oh, God. Ouch. I was going to say that because, I mean, how much does your work now, I was thinking, that must you know affect your ability to go to these games? Well, you go as often as you can. It's been difficult the last two years, but, you know, we're... we're Going towards the end of it. So you're at the game. You found your spot on the terrace. What's your third love of football, please, Jonathan Van Tam? It's the terrace's humour. <laughs> okay. I just think there is there is just no brand of humour quite like the humour on the terraces, particularly in the lower leagues. I think it is just so entertaining. At your own expense or at theirs? Doesn't really matter. How good? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's just 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 the giggle of knowing what's coming and you know the predictability, but the kind of just something special about it. And it's particularly nice if there's some kind of wind up, you know, to a manager or something. And the last thing you must do is show it's got to you because it just makes the terraces worse. <laughs> Obviously, it's not nice when it's um, unpleasant, and 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 I don't condone that but when it's good humoured then I think it's just great and I, I remember one boxing day we, we had a ref who, who was who was great and I took it really you know in his stride and joined in I think we were singing you only run for your dinner <laughs> he picked up his shirt and uh, showed us his dinner that's marvellous you know he was- <laughs> had a laugh it was a happy day that feels very National League North to me yeah. but um, I, I wonder where this sits in the landscape of, of Terrace humour I read in the Daily Star no less that Boston United fans delivered a brilliant chant towards Professor Jonathan Van Tam during their 3-2 loss to Alfreton Town in the National League North on Sunday Van Tam was watching on from the main stand was serenaded by the Boston fans with chants of we're getting vaxxed in the morning did you enjoy that? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you have to bring your work to football with you, that's probably the best way to do it, isn't it? Yeah. Leaving it a bit late, though, weren't they? This was January, I believe. At least it's a supportive one. That's a nice nice thing to hear from them. Mm. A little twist in this story, though, because, as I said, it was a 3-2 loss to Alfreton, and the report continues. The result leaves Boston just outside the playoff spots, with Alfreton now breathing down their neck. Not anymore! Not on those with those two wins on the spin, Jonathan. No, no, almost that much. Seven goals without reply. Onwards and upwards. Indeed, onwards and upwards for this episode because we've already heard about your three loves of football, but now it's time to hear Professor Sir Jonathan Van Tam's three irritations of modern football, shall we say. Let's hear about your first one, please. So the first irritation, without doubt, 
is time wasting, particularly by goalkeepers, you know, to kind of uh, restart with a goal kick and so forth and banging their boots on the on the upright of the of the goal, getting the mud out. Oh yeah, right, okay. And then moving it from one side to the other. <laughs> what are you so, doing by this point as an opposition fan? Now what's your reaction? How infuriated are you getting? Really infuriated and more infuriated if the ref can't see what I'm mm. that this is flagrant time wasting. And I just think it's very, of course, it's very difficult for refs sure, to sure. strike that balance between a fair and reasonable amount of time for a player, for a goalkeeper to choose where they put the ball, as is their prerogative, versus fastidiousness and fussiness, which is clearly time wasting. And there are some real, real experts out there, is all I can say. When they're on your side and you're you're in a winning position, it's great. When you're losing and they're doing it, it's just so irritating. Real shame, Charlie, to hear that this level of cynicism has pervaded all the way down mm. to the sixth tier of English football. I'm very disheartened by this. Yeah, we, we'd sort of assume that, that there'd be there's a purity to that level of football, but clearly not. And what's so annoying as well, Jonathan, I find is that as fans, you're telling the ref, please add this time on. And then yeah. they never seem to quite... It's like, but they can't, how can there only be four added minutes? They've been wasting time since the 30th. Jonathan, would I would I be correct in saying that you, you would prefer your referees to be strong, consistent, and straight down the line, you want them to not not kind of um, collapse at any any sign of gamesmanship. You want them to be strong individuals. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's very fair. The ref should always be bigger than the game that they're, they're refing. Really? Is that right? Because, incidentally, <laughs> last July, Boston played a friendly at Matlock Town. Um, you, you were down there, you had your shirt on, you had a pint with some fellow fans for the first time in several months due to the pandemic and work and whatnot. But before kickoff, Professor Van Tam was approached by the referee and you said he recognised me and came running over to say thanks for the big effort on the COVID stuff, which, by the way, is a brilliant way of saying thank you. That, <laughs> on its own is sensational. I've got to buy you a drink. You can't do this. And he then ran over to the clubhouse and so he walked round um, and ran across the pitch to the clubhouse. And uh, uh, when I got in there, there was my pint. Before the game. And there was the club secretary. Oh. It was a lovely welcome. And this answers my earlier question about, are you never going to have to buy a pint again? Clearly not. When you've got even, even referees are buying you drink, then <laughs> you know famous, you've made it. I, I feel like they're famously tight referees, Charlie, for no reason whatsoever. You'd assume so, Yeah. <laughs> It was lovely. Bringing the game into disrepute. I've never seen a clearer case. No, I didn't buy him one. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Impartiality. Out the window. Just because you've got a famous fan, that's it. A soft penalty in the second half there, no doubt, over at Matlock. It was only a friendly, so I guess it didn't really matter too much. But um, we asked our listeners, Charlie, to um, offer some examples of some more egregious unorthodox acts of, of time wasting. And this is this is fascinating. Ismail says Huddersfield goalkeeper Lee Nichols already has six yellow cards this season, all for time wasting. Six yellow cards in twenty seven wow. appearances. He's he says he's the master of the classics. The routine catch and then just diving on the floor to smother it. Yes. Spe- that, the worst one of all. Yeah. Spending ages setting up the centre backs for a short goal kick and then pushing them out to boot it upfield, all that sort of stuff. So I, w- I delved into the data. Five yellow cards for time-wasting, Charlie, in some form. Huddersfield have won all of those games. Mm. And uh, he's, he's also had one for holding onto the ball inside the net after Stoke equalised the other day, which is the cheapest yellow card of all. The most unnecessary yeah. yellow card, but also quite quite hilarious at the same time. I do I do like that. I mean, there was one, um, there was a famous one, which was then reprised the season, where Jose Antonio Reyes, when playing for Arsenal, was off the pitch 
needed treatment, and but rolled himself back on to force the opposition team to kick the ball out of play to uh, to stop their momentum. And then earlier this season, they had a similar thing with Martinelli, and uh, Arteta pushed him back on so that he would be injured and they'd have to stop the play, which is really taking it to quite extreme levels of time wasting. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Jonathan, let's hear about your second irritation of football, please. Again, it's not really an irritation. It's just a very bad feeling when you come away from a game and you feel that really if your team had played as well as they, you know they can, that they should have won this one. But actually, for some reason... Either it didn't click or they just didn't turn up and you perceive they perhaps didn't put quite the effort in you wanted them to. And you then feel really cheated um, because in your mind you're saying, we could have won, we should have won. No one minds going away to a, a club who are many, many places higher than you in the pyramid. And you put up a good fight, but you, you get properly thrashed. But that's OK because everybody tried really hard. The fans, you know, the away fans sung as much as they could, made as much noise as we could, took over as much of the stadium as we could. Um, everybody, you know, came off the pitch with nothing left to give. That's okay. It's a fair cop. You've been beaten by a side who are clearly so much better than you. But when you come away thinking, oh, we were cheated here. I was going to say, I, do you feel betrayed? Yeah, cheated yeah. by ourselves, really. Yeah, then you just think, oh, this is a bad. Do you ever look at yourself, Jonathan? Because the way you've talked about the importance of the fans there, do you ever come away, come back from away trips, think, could I have done more? Could I have sung louder? Could I, could I have been a bit more enthusiastic? Did I leave everything out there as a fan? Well, I think that's the thing. I, I can't answer that question, but um, I think that's the thing, isn't it, about going away with the team, the kind of the kind of tribalism and bonding and the fact that you are a small number of people in there uh, facing a much larger more numerical adversary and you've got mm. to make as much noise as you can as much you, you kind of uh, feel you were able to within your social norms whatever they are <laughs> and uh, it is part of it and, and one of the really special things about boston united is that we do have first of all an extremely large and loyal fan base for the size of club we are and the level we're at and there is a real passion about away game attendance that you just don't see with some of the other clubs in our league and because of that if you do go to a away game i don't i don't get to that many everybody knows everybody else um, who's a traveling supporter and you are part of boston united family at that point and uh, that that's you know, belonging is part of what football's about, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, with that sizable away following, um, presumably no Boston United player dare walk down the tunnel without coming over and clapping above his head. 
I mean, you must demand that at the very minimum. Oh, they, they, they never, ever come off home or away without, um, without coming over to Just to you, I hope. Just all the way over to you. So, Jonathan, tell us about your, your final irritation of football, please. So my, my final irritation, to be perfectly truthful, only because it makes me nervous and upsets me rather than irritates me, I think I should say, it's that scoring too early. <laughs> I always think mm, that's not always a good omen for you know the rest of the 88 minutes or whatever. And it is just too much of a temptation then to sit back in some way and not to really try and kill the game. And even if you don't sit back and you don't try and kill the game off because you know it's pretty difficult to do as fate you know in the second minute. It just never that lead never seems to hold. I've seen it time and time again in the Premiership. I've seen it time and time again uh, in the lower leagues. And it just makes me feel nervous. So it's not a dislike as such. It is a thing that upsets me. <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather, I would much rather that kind of tense first 20 minutes, a little bit of cat and mouse, and then, uh, then you get your first on 20 minutes. So, Jonathan, you hate it when your team doesn't try, but you also hate it when your team comes flying out of the traps and scores straight away. You seem to be very hard to please. No, I just think it makes me nervous if they come flying out of the traps and they get one instant. <laughs> it deals a blow that this is going to be easy. There's so much to delve into here because we've always been told throughout the pandemic we'll be led by the data and, and you know all of this sort of thing. And I'd, I'd love to know, and I'm sure, I'm sure the data would not back up that it's a bad thing to score early. But I also entirely empathise with what you're saying because from a sort of anxious fan, neurotic fan who kind of always fears the worst, it it can be absolutely terrifying because it's suddenly it's suddenly like you're up high and you're looking down and you're like, well, it can only, something can go wrong from here, even though surely going ahead early is an objectively great thing to happen to your team. Yeah, so I think the right mentality is always, if you're playing, and I don't play the game, but if you're playing, it should be nil-nil in your head until the 90th minute. You know, you do not want to give anything away and you want to score. It should always be like that. But it strikes me as as irrational as, slightly irrational as that sounds, you know, that that, that, that kind of, you know, we've scored, but everything is going to be terrible. Maybe football is a great outlet for these sorts of anxieties because it's great. It's a great way to release it. No one's going to come to any harm. But so we asked our listeners for similar kind of unorthodox footballing anxieties that they feel mid-game. Matthew Curry says, he, he picks up on your point, actually. He says, five minutes is the cutoff for this, for scoring too early. Anything after that is fine. That feels a little bit too early, Jonathan. I'm, I'm thinking 10. No, I think I'm with him. I think five. Yeah. Well, if you see both of the scoring in the sixth minute, everything's fine. That's the dream. Go yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, no, I think I think five is on the margins. Yeah, interesting threshold. Joe expands on this. Charlie says, "I remember reading an interview with Gary O'Neill. He just scored to give Portsmouth a lead at Old Trafford just after half time in 2005, and he had a couple of teammates moan at him to say that he'd ruin their game plan. I think they ended up losing two-one. I've never heard this with players themselves. Never I love this. I love the That's idea fantastic. that this happened because it is crazy. The idea that." a team could be annoyed at actual play like it's one thing for us supporters because we know that we're crazy but for players to say <laughs> yeah. and this isn't even that early this is soon after half time yeah. I mean you're just sitting down with a free pint that the referees bought you and your team have scored <laughs> and everything is always it's going to go down the pan from there right okay Liam Rehain says Jonathan anxiety is when you don't want to use up all your goals in a game you're already winning this is brilliant <laughs> so many fans say this oh don't use up all your goals it's the most insane logic I've ever heard and yet makes perfect sense yeah you have to be a football fan to really understand these kind of 
Otherwise, it seems totally illogical. The, the cousin of this is that, well, if you're going to miss a sitter, good time to do it now. Get, oh, get yeah. out of your system. Or in the, in the yeah, warm-up, you mean? Well, well, as if we've got a finite number of those. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll have one at some point. Do it now. Jonathan, did you did you worry that as as Fraser Preston completed his hat trick against Chester the other day that he was uh, using up all his goals in the playoffs push? No, I didn't actually. I just thought thought, thought he did really well, and uh, you know he was uh, yeah he was he was he was on fire, and uh, you know we should play him more often. No coincidence, he was one of the players you vaccinated, of course. No, it was his brother. Oh, I was his brother. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that. Yeah. Best not get into that little family dynamic. Anyway, hope hope everyone's all right. The two Jordans in our squad are very happy for me to uh, for it to be known too. Uh, there's no no secret about it. I'm not I'm not betraying any medical confidence. No, here. I did a little um, interview for one of the Vietnam news agencies. Uh, okay. Fairly recently, and uh, I see today that on one of the Vietnam news agency websites, there is a picture of um, the two Jordans and me. The <laughs> 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 So there you are. We've made that it was one of your conditions for doing the interview. They have to use well, that. Picture. Well, I've, I've, warned, I've warned the club secretary now that we can expect um, lots and lots of mail orders uh, for shirts from uh, from Vietnam. Oh, this is huge! Yeah, Con- conquering the Southeast Asian market. Yeah. Boston yeah. have been waiting to do for so long. We've talked on this podcast before about the, the low threshold by which obscure teams or relatively obscure teams get foreign language Twitter accounts in obscure countries. So I imagine um, uh, uh, Boston, Vietnam isn't too far away and giving sort of daily updates from uh, it's going to happen. Next one, Charlie, Sam says, I always get anxious when I see the opposition team in a huddle before kickoff. For some reason, they just look like more of a team than when we do when we're going over to our position. <laughs> again, the tiniest thing is enough to make you think that's it, it's finished we're all done especially if they shout loudly at the end of it which invariably they will and you're like oh god but that happens to your team like you'll really believe after doing one if your own team does it when you're playing or watching and uh, again there probably isn't a huge amount of correlation I think it's a psychological ploy it is but it sounds like an effective one in Sam's case well, it clearly works. I mean, my, my similar one is, um, I mean, I realise Boston United don't play a great many Champions League games, but um, when teams are lining up for the anthems or the or the, the songs beforehand and the camera sort of pans down the team, you instantly start to count how many six-footers they've got and then start to worry about any corners. They think, well, we haven't got enough. That's it, we're screwed. But as I say, yeah, it's the, it's the tiny things. But yeah, it's generally one of the most fascinating dislikes I've heard so far. Well, fantastic. Okay, so let's let's just recap what, what we've got off your chest now. Um, you're... Uh, your appreciation for the accuracy of films like Fever Pitch and Bed It Like Beckham, the Lincolnshire, or sorry, Bostonshire hotbed that is the uh, the Derby rivalries of your part of the world, the Terrace's humour, specifically We're Getting Vaxxed in the Morning, which is uh, frankly a runaway hit of the National League North as far as I'm concerned, weak refereeing and time-wasting. You've got no no truck with that. Coming away, feeling your team has lost to a worse team because they didn't try. And the biggest football fan anxiety of them all, scoring too early. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Charlie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. That was great. Jonathan, you tore the pants out of it. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Hope everyone enjoyed that. We'll see you again for the adjudication panel next week. Cheerio. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.